please open your Bibles to Psalm 23. It can be found on page 862 in the Pew Bibles in front of you. It's been said of the Holy Spirit that He works when He wants to at unexpected times often but always powerfully accomplishing the purpose of his will. I experienced that between the months of January and July of 1998. This week as I reflected on what the Lord did in my life over the course of that six months, I was once again just amazed at his kindness, and mercy to me. What I'd like to do tonight is roll the tape back on my life a little bit, 23 years to be exact. I just graduated from college, had moved to Augusta, and on February the 8th of 1998, I just stumbled into this church after an invitation. I sat in the last pew, the second last pew on the uptown side of the church. I saw people singing in ways I had not seen before. And then a voice that many of you know came up to this pulpit and preached through Psalm 23. I asked Bran if he could pull that up tonight. I want you to just hear what I experienced that, not, that night. Many of you will recognize the voice of our own Peter Letchford. He's going to read this text and hear his prayer, and then I'll come back up and we'll go from there. So if you'd play that, please, Brent. It's one more variation on the wording of Psalm 23 this evening from what we had this morning. And this one comes from a version called the New English Bible. It was published in 1970. Very similar, and yet some very enlightening little variations. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall want nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside waters of peace. He renews life within me and for his name's sake guides me in a right path. Even though I walk through a valley as dark as death, I fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod and your staff are my comfort. You spread a table for me in the sight of my enemies. You richly bathe my head with oil. And my cup runs over. Goodness and love unfailing will follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Word of prayer. Our gracious God, as we come once again this evening to this much-loved psalm, we do so as those who know what it is to be as sheep going astray for whom the Good Shepherd must be ready to give his life as he goes out to seek and to save them. 
So fill us afresh this evening, we pray, with a sense of your love for us and your patience with us and your willingness to give your all for our salvation. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. What I didn't know that night was that he'd actually preached the first half of Psalm 23 in the morning, and the emphasis of the evening was on verses 4 through 6. So tonight I'm going to spend just a little bit of time actually in verses 5 and 6, using a resource that I came across years later by Philip Keller. Many of you perhaps have heard of it, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. Philip Keller was lived much of his life in East Africa, and it was there that he watched the behaviors of herdsmen. He actually was a herdsman himself for eight years, and it was in the process of shepherding sheep that he has some unique insights into this Psalm 23. So I'm going to provide a couple of those insights that he has, and then hopefully interweave some of my life story as we move along to explain how the Lord became my shepherd. Beginning in verse 4, we have this idea of the Lord prepares a table for me. What Keller talks about here is that a shepherd, particularly in the summer months, would be leading and guiding his sheep towards the lush meadows. These meadows were set up on these messes. And these messes, if you remember your sixth grade science class, were the tops of hills that were flat. Sometimes they were actually called tables. And what Keller begins to describe is that he remembers as he was leading his sheep up into these messes, that as he would come to the top of them, he would have to take time to prepare them. You see, there were certain types of flowers that the sheep could eat and they would be just fine along with the other grasses. But there was another type of flower that was often very much hidden beneath some of the grass and it was white. And if the sheep, particularly the lambs, if they were to eat of that particular flower, then they would actually, it would cause them to be paralyzed. They would just lock up and they would pass away. So Philip Keller tells the story of him going with his sons and his other children throughout the field, preparing it, pulling away these particular flowers that would cause harm. And he said, that's what the Lord does, actually. The Lord is always going before us, preparing a table for us against our enemies. My spiritual story actually didn't begin on February the 8th of 1998. Oh, I left that service a different person. But the Lord was actually preparing me decades before that. When I reflected this week of all the things the Lord did to prepare a table for me, I'd have to go back to my earliest of days to be in a home to have the love of both a father and a mother sets the stage for so much good in one's life. When I finally came to the point of understanding the love of God, the love of a father, the love of a mother, that's not something that I had to imagine what that was. The Lord prepared me. 
in attending a small Catholic preparatory school through elementary school. There wasn't anything really special about this school in many ways. It was run by a group of nuns out of Philadelphia, of the Order of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I believed. They lived in a small convent just next to the school. This little school, it had conviction, though. It's actually the first school in the state of South Carolina to integrate. There was a spot where the Ku Klux Klan came and burned a cross right in the middle of our playground. But this school defiantly stood its ground. Oh, I certainly would have some objections to the Catholic faith. But I tell you this, it was in that little school that I heard Bible stories, that I heard about God and his son and what he had done. And I left with a basic framework of good and evil and right and wrong. I jumped from a class of 15 to a middle school filled with 700 students. It was absolutely overwhelming. I looked around and I asked myself, where do I fit? How am I ever going to make friendships in this group, knowing very few of them? It was sink or swim, and I started to paddle hard. But in my paddling, I began to make vows, promises to myself. I'll do anything to be a part of this particular group. Well, over time, I got into the group that I wanted to be a part of. It was like a jackhammer in concrete, just persistent. But what I didn't realize was that my life was getting more and more centered on myself. I started to want to make a life for myself, and I became at the center of it all. That carried through middle school, into high school, rolled out of high school into college. I've told some, I went to North Carolina State, and I said, if there was a church in Raleigh, I would not know it. I don't even remember having the thought to go to church. I just don't remember that. I began an engineering program, and the way that the program worked is you got a sheet of paper, and that was all the classes you were to take the four years that you were there. I began to work the list two years into college, and I matriculated over to the pulp and paper science. Again, two years of classes, no electives, until your senior year. My senior year came, and I finally was given the option to take some form of an elective. Back in those days, they had books of classes that you could take, and I just was thumbing through the book. I wonder what my elective is going to be. And I saw a course on Christianity. To this day, I do not know why I decided to take that as an elective. I walked into the class. This is after four years of just sciences and chemistries and maths and all these things. And it was a female teacher. I later come to understand she was a Methodist minister there in town in Raleigh. And as I got to know her some, I, one day I went up to her and I said, I'm gonna, I've been invited to a, a Christian science meeting tonight. I thought it was Christians who did science. I didn't know what it was, but I had been invited to it, and they had some free food, and so I was going to go to it. And she looked at me in the most gentle, kindest way, and she said, I wouldn't do that. 
stay on the path that this class is pointing you towards. And I didn't go down that particular direction. I did not even know there was good religions and bad religions. But the Lord put me in that class. He was preparing a table for me. I graduated, came to Augusta, moved into Forest Hills Racquet Club. The first week I was there, realizing I did not have a shower curtain, and that's a good thing to have in life, I said, I'm going to go buy one. After work, went up to what was Eckerd at the time on Walton Way Extension. It's roly-poly or RSVP now, whatever that is, and walked into it. And as I was walking down the aisle, I passed by someone, and we both turned towards one another. That kind of moment you feel like this might be someone, an acquaintance that I knew from some time ago. We started talking to one another, and as it turns out, we went to high school with one another. She asked me what I was doing, and I told her I was here to work at the paper industry, and I asked her what she did, and she says, well, I'm a youth minister at First Presbyterian Church, and then it, my, uh, my memory was triggered. Oh, yeah, Stephanie, church group, high school. Okay, I know who she is now. She gave me her phone number, I think just feeling sorry for me, not knowing anybody in town. Two weeks later, I got paid, and I called her up to say, I don't know anybody in town. Would you be willing to go out and have a bite to eat with me? And, and she accepted. It was there that she invited me to church. Think of the details of the kindness of God that at that particular moment that I decided to get a shower curtain at Eckerd and to walk down that particular aisle and pass by her. The Lord was preparing a table for me. Came to church, heard Peter Letchford preach through Psalm 23. I didn't even, in my own inner soul, I don't remember even saying this, it just just came up. And I said, if there truly is a God of Psalm 23, then I want to know him. completely unexpected I was crazy enough to put my name on there's um, little cards in the church to say if you want to follow up I didn't even know what it was exactly but I did it and I got a phone call a couple of days later and it was um, a group that said they were going to come by or something I, I really didn't pay attention to what they were saying and, um, but I remember they said they were going to come and I didn't really think anything of it the funny thing was um, that Friday night before I was, this was right um, around springtime, our, the company I worked for had a huge party out of International Paper. We were a sales group. We had this really big party, and I was the only single person at the time, so they sent all the food, all the drinks, everything went home with me. And I probably had about five or six cases of beer sitting on my counter left over from that particular party, and all this food was there. I put it there on Friday. I didn't think anything else about it. Started my week again on Wednesday night, the door, I got a knock on my door, my apartment, I said, who would that be? I don't even know anybody in town. And I opened it up, it's like, oh my goodness, that's the church people are coming by here. <laughs> I thought they just were going to, um, you know, say hello to me, but they said, can we come in? 
And my next immediate thought is, oh my goodness, I have all of that on the counter that they're going to have to walk right by to go and sit down. So they sat down with me, Jim Clark, Gail Hendricks, and Barbara Anderson. Jim and Gail are both with the Lord. Barbara's still a sister in the Lord here at the church. They started talking to me. The next thing I know, they asked me, John, if you were to die tonight and stand before the Lord, and he, would, and he asked the question, why should I let you into my heavens, what would you say? I could not believe that they'd asked me that question. I didn't even know them. And I just started jibber-jabbering. And they got, finally got quiet, and Gail Hendricks sat down on a chair in my living room, and she described grace to me. I had never heard that concept before. I'd heard the word grace before. But I never understood the idea of resting in grace alone. And I tell you, I cannot explain it, but I just got it. I understood it. They left, and I had to get out of my apartment. I just... I needed to leave. I turned on music. This little, little pickup truck I had at the time. And it was like electricity through my soul at that particular time. I was more alive at that particular moment than I ever had been in my life. The shepherd justifies. He prepared a table for me in so many other ways, but on that particular evening, he justifies so many enemies, namely myself, and he prepared a table for me. The text goes on to describe this idea of he anoints my head in oil. Keller describes that sheep in the summertime, one of their greatest enemies of sorts, are insects. One in particular are called nose flies or something like that, but these flies get around the, the head of a sheep and they try to place the eggs in the moist mucous membrane of the nose of a sheep. And what will happen then is the larvae hatch and they actually go up into the brain and it's just awful as you can imagine. It'll, sheep will run their head into trees and jump off cliffs and roll around in the dirt and just to get rid of these insects. Caleb describes what actually helps at that particular moment is that if you, he said he made this oil, sulfur, and tar mix, and he would anoint, he would place that on the sheep's head, and almost immediately upon doing that, when these bugs are around, the sheep would be completely calm, and they could once again begin living. Their strength would return. And they were at peace after this. That's what it is. The good Lord, there is a, a sanctifying element. That he's able to anoint us with this spirit and give us peace in the most, even the most difficult of times. Fast forwarding now to, as around the spring of 98. For those of you who are here, you'll remember that. That was the El Nino year. Tons of rain in Augusta. 
One of the first jobs I had at the paper mill was out on the filter plant. I was a baby Christian. Didn't know up from down hardly. My life was just completely flipped in many ways, just trying to understand what this means for the rest of my life. But I was working at the filter plant. Augusta, I mean, International Paper brings in 60 million gallons of water per day, more than Richmond County. And the job that I had was to sell the chemicals that basically clean the water up. If you go to the Savannah River on any given day, it's normally a cool, clean river. It doesn't take a lot of chemicals to clean it. In 1998, it did. What happens when it rains here? It turns into chocolate milk, right? The river does. On a normal day, it's only about 250 gallons of chemical per day that's needed. When it turns into chocolate milk, it's a lot more chemicals. My first day at the mill, I was in an instruction class, and there's this long, boring safety instruction class, of course, that you have to do when you go in these facilities. At the very end, the, uh, the guy Lingus, let me tell you something. If you're, in, it was for contractors or oper- uh, people who were there as guests. He said, if you shut this mill down, it costs $10,000 per hour. If you contribute to it or if you're responsible for it, you will lose your permission to be here. You'll never come back, and the company you work for, they'll lose their ability to come here as well. I don't remember anything else. I do remember that. <laughs> I was at the filter plant. We had just transitioned from our competitors, and I was responsible for making the transition. The transition was going smoothly. I left on a Thursday uh, to go out of town. We had one of those torrential rainstorms. Like I said, the chemicals that we use normally is about 200 gallons per day. When it rains, it could use up to 1,000 to 1,500 gallons per day of our chemical. When I returned after several days, I was talking to the operator, and I went down to where the pumps were pumping, and I said, well, it's, man, that's a pumping a lot of chemical right now. And I looked at the level on the tank, and it, there was a little bit of a drop, but not that much. And the next day went probably my net naivety of just starting the job, and I came back the next day, and... I talked to him and said, hey, look, I'm counting four pumps are pumping, and the tank hasn't dropped that much. He goes, oh, well, you know we turned on two auxiliary pumps in the back, didn't you? I said, no, I didn't know that. He goes, oh, and you know that, that the level gauge on that tank is broken, don't you? I said, no, I didn't know that either. He said, let me show you. And he went outside, and he kind of took the cord on this tank, and it was this pneumatic um, mechanical lever so when the, the tank is nearly empty it goes down on the inside and the outside gauge goes up he whipped it and the level on the tank went to within six inches of being empty international paper makes white paper you cannot make white paper with brown water this operator looked at me he said I hope you have chemicals coming in the next six hours this mill is going to be shut down I just had started. That chemical came out of Beaumont, Texas. I hadn't even made a phone call yet to order the next round of it. We were minimum three days away from chemical. I was going to shut the mill down. He said, I'm going to give you 30 minutes to figure out what you're going to do. Then I need to call the plant manager and tell him. Brand new Christian. And the weight of the world came upon me. There was this little nook underneath the filter plant, loud pumps. You couldn't even talk over them. It was a concrete fortress. I opened the door to go down there because I was just going to cry, I thought, or throw up, one of the two. I didn't know which, but it was one of those two. And I began to think, I'm going to be fired. 
I'm not going to have a job. I'm going to lose this contract worth millions. These other men, they're not going to have a job. I'm going to have to call my parents and tell them I've been fired. I mean, just, and just crushing. And I walked into there, and I cannot explain it. There was this anointing. And I was fine. Uh, it's not that I didn't feel bad. It's not that I didn't feel awful about what I was about to do. But those arrows which had previously could penetrate all the way in to my soul, they no longer could. I walked up the stairs, called my boss, and I said, well, I know I'm going to be fired, and I'm okay with that. But I want to help you to see what we can do to get out of this mess that we were in. You see, when you are in Christ, there is only a certain amount that the world can take from you. My idea, I didn't even know this at the time, but my identity was in the Lord. And at that, I didn't even know it was possible. I was unshakable. I couldn't believe it. Last thing, and I'll make this story quickly. The last verse talks about this idea. Surely the goodness of the Lord will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The shepherd justifies, the shepherd sanctifies by spirit, anointing us with oil, and the shepherd glorifies. July of that year, the last story of this, I was running out on the Augusta Canal with this gentleman from up in Pennsylvania. We were working on this project. I was still working at the mill. He wanted to go jog on the canal. We started at the Evans Deluxe. We ran down to the I-20, which I think is about maybe two miles or so, maybe less. I don't know. We ran back. He started running, and in my um, pride, probably, I'm sure, he was at least a minute and a half to two minutes faster than what my miles were. I didn't say a word. I couldn't. I couldn't breathe, but I just tried to keep up with him. <laughs> I get all the way down to I-20. We turn back around. And we get within uh, probably a half a mile back to where the, the locks are. And the rest of the story has to be told to me because I collapsed. This is 1998. There weren't that many cell phones, but by God's grace, there was a cardiologist who was running by at that particular time. I am on the lock, and I was out-out. So long that when they actually transported me from the lock to University Hospital, I don't remember any of that. And you can imagine, the lot, that's not an easy place to get to. I still don't know if they picked me up off the path or they brought me over the water. I don't know what they did. But I remember them trying to prick my arm. They were having a very difficult time with that because they were constricted just from dehydration. They threw me up onto some bed in the hospital. And they put this massive fan at my feet. And I remember this cool air coming across my body. And between the coolness of the air and it was coming from my feet up, the stench of my body, it was just, I began to, to wake up, but I was still completely out of it. And I had this thought at this particular moment that I think I'm going to die. 
And then my next thought was, Lord, you brought me to Augusta to save me and now to be with you. Complete peace. I know that I was thought I was going to die because when I first started to come up, they said, do you know your, your parents' phone number? And I, I, did, I remembered it. And they said, do you want us to tell your mom anything? And this is not like me in some ways. And I said, tell her I love her. I really thought that was the last thing that I was going to say. But I didn't. But I was in that space that I thought that I was going to utter peace about that. That happened when I was 23 years old, those six-month period. 23 years later is basically now. And I don't know what the Lord has for me for these next 23 years. But I do know this, that this last promise says that his goodness and his love are going to follow me all the days of my life. And when that's over, then I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Let's pray. Father, I marvel at your mercy towards me. This week, as I reflected on all that you did in that six-month period of justifying me, of sanctifying me when the enemies of old were attacking me, and then to bring me to a point at least where I thought that death was upon me and to be at peace. You truly are a loving God. I pray that those who are in here, who are in you, are encouraged by your love. And if there is one in here tonight who just stumbled in here, I pray that your spirit unexpectedly, powerfully gives them eyes to see. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.